Uh, cool. Welcome to Hollywood's Haunted, the podcast. We are guides for the Hollywood's Haunted tours in Hollywood, California. And we are here to discuss everything from hauntings and murders to the evil underbelly of Tinseltown. To some of our craziest <laughs> tour groups. Our hosts today are Patrick Bean, myself, and Tia Bean. That's me. That's you. And Jameson, who is broadcasting live from Glendale. Live from Glendale. That's Glendale, California. Uh, your closest reference to that might be Sappy the Squirrel from Pasadena. Do you remember that from Animaniacs? Anybody? Sappy oh the Squirrel? Oh was from Glendale? No, she was from Pasadena. That's, oh. you know, she's, it's just close. The little... The... <laughs> Sorry, Glendale's got, got nothing. Yeah, because yeah, they did that because she drove her car real fast. Right? And, oh, yeah, Sappy the Squirrel from Pasadena. <laughs> oh my God, that was a good yeah. shit, man. I guess Modern Family, stuff. they're... Pasadena, oh, right, Modern yeah. Family. But yeah, I'm trying to think of a Glendale reference. Oh, for... uh, in Fresh Off the Boat, the, uh, the the shot of his restaurant that they used was the restaurant that's around the corner from me. Oh, so there you go. Crazy. It's, it's, a, it's a Filipino restaurant, ironically, because they uh, they use a the Korean, right? I'm thinking that show. I can't. I haven't seen it yet. Yeah, yeah. I believe it's a Korean family. So I'm pretty it's sure Crazy Ex Girlfriend films in Glendale, even though it takes place in West Covina. Specifically, go. like there's a song about it. About it, it yeah. It's <laughs> oh yeah, it's a it's a nice city. Uh, uh, it has a nickname for it. I forget what the nickname is. Like the Gem City or something like that, or the something like that. Oh yeah. <laughs> every city, every I think so. Every city has like kind of a nickname. That's right. Yeah. In, mm-hmm. in Los Angeles, the Gem uh, City, where we still have swastikas on our lampposts. Mm-hmm. That is true. That is true. Which I which I was told uh, the band Scars on Broadway. That's that's what the was the like how they got their name. What they got their name from because like Broadway the street and Broadway out here in, in Glendale, uh, and those lampposts are on Broadway. So I think that that's what the oh. the reference is. I mean, obviously oh, you think of it as Stars on Broadway. You know, you think it's it's a pun, but yeah, no, I was uh, talking with somebody and they said it's, it's about those lampposts. Oh, wow. Crazy. Learn something new every day. Well, you know what? The podcast is over officially. Hollywood's on. The- <laughs> <laughs> yeah, please do. Cause we went off on a total rant. There. <laughs> and that's it. Um, okay. All right. Uh, story time. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm ready for this one. Stories uh, are today are crimes and killers that inspired movies and movie genres and cool stuff like that and a bunch of stuff so yeah oh yeah yeah uh yeah jameson's going first because he lost the bet and <laughs> he's also doing this without clothes <laughs> which i guess what which he's is on the fine because he's in glendale so. <laughs> thank god for you guys well, yeah, uh, it, it's it's funny that you, I forgot that that was kind of the title of this episode. So that's really cool because uh, that that is kind of my thought process on this character or on this story is as I was kind of uh, mulling it over. But uh, mine came with the movie. My story came with the movie actually, which was which was pretty cool. Uh, the town that feared sundown. Uh, it was made nineteen nineteen seventy six, I think it was. That's and when it was uh, released. Yeah, okay, it said, okay. now on Amazon it said 77, but every time I read about it, it said 76. Mm. So, okay. somewhere around there. But, uh, so it's an older it's an older horror movie. Now, my take on the movie uh, was that it was very interesting because it was kind of presented more as like a documentary uh, in, the, in the fact that they had voiceovers uh, through the movie. So there was like a narrator kind of setting up 
scenes for you hmm. uh, that were, uh, you know, when, when the movie starts, like the, the following film is true. Uh, uh, only the names of the actors have, or the people have been changed uh, to oh, hide the identities. But basically, this is a true story. So they do that in the in the Texas Chainsaw Massacre as well. Oh, did they the same thing? Oh yeah, oh yeah. That's, yeah. That's that's definitely a theme in that era. Yeah. Okay, that would make sense because it came out after Texas Chainsaw Massacre, but before Halloween. That's interesting. I, yeah. So cool. So it has that going for it. Now, uh, the movie was was interesting. It's a little hokey. Um, there's no major actors in it um, that I could tell. Uh, everyone was pretty, you know, nondescript. But it was it was an okay movie. It wasn't terrible. Um, there was a I, as I watched it, I didn't know the story, the, the true story of what had happened. So I kind of was um, interested to see how they matched up and how the movie matched up to the real story, you know. So that was interesting to find that out. Um, watching again, watching the movie was fun. There was it had some uh, classic death scenes in it. Uh, definitely made you feel bad for the victims, of course. But uh, uh, it, it was interesting how it just changed from from real life to to what it is. So let's go into the story about what really happened, and then we can maybe go back and talk about some different scenes in the movie, if you will. So you guys gave me a story, uh, and, and it goes uh, as the Phantom Murders um, of Texarkana, uh, or the Moonlight Murders of Texarkana. Um, he also well, he went by two names in the newspapers, which was the, the, the Phantom Murderer or the Phantom Slayer. Man, I, um, I, always, I always noticed that. Sorry to butt in, but I always no, noticed that the serial killers always have like a choice. Like there's always names. there's always like two names. Like I always wondered how that happens. Like the, well, the first two reporters just you know, the newspaper one newspaper calls them this and then the other newspaper calls them that. Um, also, like someone wants one to just stick. Also, yeah. when we start our Norwegian death metal band, it's going to be called <laughs> Phantom Slayer. Phantom Slayer, yeah. Well, I think that's. Oh, uh, shit. I mean, and I will be. A out there and you're pretty darn popular, so I don't know if you're going to be able to jump on that wagon or not. That's yeah, but we're doing Slayer covers. <laughs> oh, I don't know. We're onto something, Tia. I like, I like where your head's at. Yeah. But in the style of baby metal. Oh, I'm man. Like, oh, in the style of baby metal. I like okay, sorry. That. Anyways. That's, that's going to be good. It's going to be a long one. I'll shut up now. So good. So good. Um, so yeah, so, and I would, I would, I would say that just because, you know, again, a lot of our stories come from, from earlier times. So at that point, newspapers were the only, you know, source of information that would coming out two, three times a day where you would get a new newspaper in the afternoon or in the evening edition. Mm -hmm. So having multiple newspapers in multiple towns, um, I'm sure everybody wanted to have their kind of spin on the story. And so that's probably where you get the the multiple names at least back in the 30s 40s 50s you know, no, that, that makes that makes perfect yeah. sense yeah. actually i guess you nowadays know? these serial killers should have like 27 names since there's so many outlets yeah you know i mean <laughs> you know, that's true too i mean basically you just have cable instead of newspapers now, right, so yeah. absolutely it's a trip absolutely so yeah so phantom slayer phantom murder um this place this took place in texarkana uh which i've been to uh that's right on the border of texas and arkansas uh, so you, you have two different states bordering, you know, uh, right in, right in this area. So, uh, able to kind of jump back and forth. Not that that really has anything to do with the, uh, the actual, uh, uh, crime itself, but, uh, uh, it's just kind of interesting how that, that town is such a big area. It's such a big city for that area. Um, but this, this all took place from, uh, February 22nd to May 3rd of 1946. Okay. And you had, uh, four different crimes that are considered linked, uh, although the fourth one, uh, it's not it's not been proven that they're definitely uh, connected. 
Mm -hmm. Um, the first, the first crime took place on February 22nd and it involved two people, Jimmy Hollis and, uh, Mary Jean, uh, uh, sorry, Mary Jeannie Larry. Uh, so her name was Mary Larry. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Uh, so I'm glad that they put the gene in there. Uh, the yeah, right, yeah. Try to separate it a little bit. <clears throat> yeah. Oh, man. Mary Larry, that's tough. So uh, Jimmy is 25. Mary is 19. And um, all these crimes took place um, uh, usually in like kind of like a lover's lane type thing. Uh, this is, again, Texas 1946. There's a lot of dark roads. There's a lot of air- areas that are you know off the grid. And uh, people like to go there and canoodle. Whatever, whether it's talking or sex or smoking, whatever, mm-hmm. they, they all have their little private spot. There's definitely canoodling. Definitely canoodling going on. <laughs> Canoodleage to the max. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, uh, J- uh, sorry, Jimmy and Mary are uh, sitting in the car and you know doing her thing, and um, uh, guy walks up to the window, uh, shining a flashlight in, in the car. Okay, and blinds them, and they're like, you know, hey think you got the wrong car buddy you know what's going on well they the guy uh bangs on the window with his flashlight and says uh says to him i don't want to kill you fellow so do what i say now they look and they finally get a good look at the guy because the light's kind of blinding him and the guy's wearing like a a, a, a bag on his head like a like a pillowcase oh, shit. Mm. and the two eye holes have been cut out in the mouth hole and that's all they can really see so he grabs him he pulls he pulls the uh he pulls jimmy out of the car um, and, uh, he, uh, she, he says, take off your britches to the guy, to Jimmy. So takes off his pants and, uh, uh, the phantom murderer smack cracks him right in the head with his gun. He has a gun. He smacks him in the head and he apparently hit him so hard. Uh, cracked his skull that, uh, uh, Mary thought that it was actually a, uh, like a bullet had gone off, like a shot had gone off. Oh, Jesus. Because the crack was so loud, you know? Oh, God. So uh, Jimmy falls down, and uh, uh, he turns to uh, Mary, and he says, run. So she starts to run towards one direction. He goes, no, run run up the road that way. So she goes, okay. So she runs up the, the road the other way, and as she's running up there, there's like an abandoned car that she runs up to thinking there's somebody inside it. So she gets to the car, and she's looking for help, and uh, the, 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 the phantom catches up with her, and uh, he's like, what are you, why are you running? She's like, I, you told me to run. He's like, no, I didn't. You're a liar. And he throws her down on the ground. And he kind of basically rapes her with the gun. They said mm. they, she's, was, was, uh, what did they say, molested by the gun. So um, lets her go. She gets, she kind of knocks her around. And then he, he, uh, he gets up and leaves. And uh, she gets away. And um, Jimmy actually also... Uh, makes it to a road. They, they're in different places by this point. Uh, she runs off and she finds help at a uh, at a nearby house. And uh, Jimmy uh, flags down a, a passing motorist and gets help from him. So they both survive. And they're talking to the police about it. And the police are asking nice questions. And they, they don't agree on the story. She thinks that the guy was black. He thinks that the guy was white. Um, they, you know, other than that, they don't really have much to go on because he's wearing his pillowcase on his head. Okay. Now these are the only two people that are ever have ever seen the killer out of these four four stories. They're the only ones that make a description. So in the movie, the, the killer always has the, the the white sack on his head, uh, jeans and a I think like a jacket, but you know just basically normal looking other than the pillowcase on his head kind of thing. 
Um, exactly three weeks. I think it's exactly three weeks later on March 24th, 1946. Uh, same situation. Uh, Richard Griffin and Pollyann Moore. Uh, Richard is 29. Pollyann is 17. Um, they are uh, same thing. They're 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 out on a lover's lane, um, and uh, they're found the next day. There, there's no witnesses or anything, but they're found both dead in the car. Uh, Richard is found on his knees in the front seat um, with a with a, a shot in the back of his head, uh, and Pollyann is found sprawled on the back seat, face down, also with a shot in the back of her head. So they're both killed execution style. Oh, wow. Um. There's no sexual assault. There's no robbery. It's purely just murder. There's nothing else to it. Um, there's there's blood outside, and so they think that they were maybe murdered outside the car and then placed inside the car. But they don't really know how you know. They don't really know much about the story. So they call in all these detectives and stuff like that, um, especially after even after the first the first murder because it, you know this guy this guy uh, he's got the hood on and stuff. You know, obviously it, it causes a lot of. Um, brouhaha if you will but uh by the second time when, when they're actually two two murders uh, they start bringing in the state police and stuff so uh they bring in this this special guy who's known for uh, uh known for for tracking down all these guys he's a texas very famous texas ranger uh, i think his name his nickname was the coyote um and he's really he's just really good at his job apparently <laughs> yeah, right. Like, is it yeah, Walker? He, he got yeah. that uh, nickname. Walker, Texas. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Somebody called for Chuck Norris. <laughs> so, um, so yeah. So he comes down there, and now people are freaking out. They're like, you know, we can't go out at night. This guy is ambushing these people, and and people are people are tripping out. So, um, he sets up this, this kind of not a task force, but he's got people on patrol like crazy. He's telling all the, you know, the local kids like you guys got to stay out of these areas. You shouldn't be, you know, you shouldn't be down these dark lanes and whatnot. Um, sales, all the guns sell out in the town. All the shutters and everything start getting, you know, everyone's boarding up their houses and stuff. The whole town's freaking out. Three weeks from that, April thirteenth, nineteen forty-six, Paul Martin, who is seventeen, and Betty Jo Baker, who is fifteen. Um, Betty, uh, Paul picks up Betty Jo at uh, VFW Hall. She's just uh, been playing. I don't know. In the movie, they, they make it seem like they're playing for a prom. Uh, in this, it made it sound like maybe she was with her band practicing or possibly playing a show for somebody, but she's uh, she's playing a saxophone. Um, he picks her up, uh, and this is about 1.30 in the morning, and uh, that's the last time they're ever seen alive. Uh, apparently in the movie they go off to the same thing they go off to, to lover's lane kind of thing to screw around before uh, she has to be back home and um, uh, they're they're found dead now too so now it's it's uh, it's four murders uh, Paul Martin's body is found by a road by the road he's been shot four times um, and they look around for Betty Joe they find her body two miles away uh, she's been shot twice but she's fully clothed um, and apparently it was the same weapon that was used in the first murder, which is they're uh, calling a 32 Colt, uh, 32 caliber Colt pistol. Wow. So now you have, now you have all the, you have four murders, you know, and, and, and people are losing their minds. It, this is three weeks consecutive in a row that, that are three times, uh, uh, sorry, three incidents in a row that, that people have been attacked and, and four times, four people have been murdered. Now, um, people are, are, 
panicking. That's why it didn't, you know, that's why the, the movie is called the whole, uh, town that feared sundown. Everyone's freaking out. So task force isn't working. Kids, are, kids are taking it upon themselves to set up traps. Uh, they're, they're using themselves as bait and they have guns. Uh, they had a story about one of the police officers, uh, went up to a car to check on check on a couple that he was you know he came up to the window saying hey i'm a police officer you guys shouldn't be here and uh you know it's really dangerous for you and her response was it was dangerous for you mister uh you're lucky you announced yourself before you walked up to this car and uh she was pointing a gun at him the whole time so wow yeah so you know all these kids basically were like trying to be vigilantes you know do it themselves so uh, little badasses yeah <laughs> and it's you know it's funny in the movie they do the same thing they dress up all the cops like women and stuff and so they had so there's a little bit of i don't want to say comedy but there's some goofiness in the movie that they add in there which was interesting kind of make it a little bit lighthearted. but yeah they had a, you know all these guys with makeup on and stuff but they're these huge dudes <laughs> mm. <laughs> so that was pretty funny yeah, um, but this doesn't work he, the, 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 the phantom doesn't go for it he, he doesn't attempt anything like this um, and they're trying to anticipate it because it seems like he's on a cycle he's doing it you know every three weeks and, mm-hmm. and so they're kind of trying to predict when he's gonna when he's gonna strike next um, the, the three weeks comes and goes and on May 3rd 1946 uh, Virgil and Katie Starks are um, in their in their farm, uh, calling it a night. Uh, Katie is upstairs getting ready, getting ready for bed. They're both forty uh, one, I think they are. Sorry, I didn't write their number, their ages down, but they're they're both married. I think they're in their early forties. Uh, Virgil had was sitting downstairs reading the newspaper on the uh, by the window. Um, he's got a heating pad on his back because he'd been hurt you know hurt earlier in the daytime. So uh, Katie was upstairs uh, in bed getting ready for bed. And she hears noises outside, and uh, she calls down to a to a Virgil, and he says, "Nah, I don't hear anything." Uh, she goes back to doing her doing what you know, doing whatever she's doing, and then she hears glass break. So she runs downstairs, and she sees uh, Virgil in the corner stand up and then fall backwards into his chair, and she runs over, and there's blood everywhere. Apparently, the Phantom has walked up right behind him while he's sitting in his easy chair and shoots him right through the window about three feet away. Oh, my goodness. Whoa. Puts two bullets into the back of his head. Whoa. Okay? So she sees this, screams, runs to the telephone. She starts calling the telephone, and the Phantom shoots her twice in the face from the from the same spot. Damn. Okay, so the bullets are from – they're considering a different weapon, not the thirty two Colt pistol. They're thinking it was more of a, of a rifle. Um, but she catches two in the face. Uh, the second one um, – breaks her uh, it like it goes in like just under her lip and it breaks her jaw smashes her teeth and then comes to rest underneath her tongue uh the second one went through her went through her cheek and out past her ear so now her face is completely flowing with blood uh she's running through the house trying to find a gun she can't because she's got so much blood in her face she can't see anything uh and it's the classic like i gotta get the hell out of the house while the killer is trying to get in it's it's seriously like that the killer is trying to come in through the front screen door she runs out the back. She runs into the field and across to her brother-in-law's house. And she's banging on the door. Uh, they're not home. So she runs to the next neighbor's house. Uh, she gets the attention of the neighbor. He comes out. And her only words to him are, Virgil's dead. And then she falls down and faints. And um, uh, the neighbor, uh, A.V. Prater, shoots a gun into the air to warn neighbors. Uh and everybody comes, and the, the phantom gets away, but Katie survives. Wow. wow. Shooting a gun into the air, that's actually really smart. 
Yeah, like yeah. kind of like you know signaling. Yeah, you know, I mean, I, for I the would never, I would never think of that. I don't know why, but that's, yeah, that's, so that's smart. I wonder if that's like a there, farm so. thing. A farm thing, yeah, right, yeah. yeah. And it like total classic scene of you know this guy trying to get in and she's running around panicking. They, they said that she ran upstairs to write a note, and I'm like, what? <laughs> Who the fuck is thinking about writing a note? Yeah. Well, I mean, maybe she was like, I just got shot in the face twice, so I might die. So yeah. I don't just know what, write a last they never note. referenced again, they just said that she was running around looking for a gun, and she ran upstairs to write a note, and she ran out the back door, so... I mean, it's impressive that she said Virgil's was able dead to speak with, yeah, with bullets literally a, lodged in her face. And a yeah. broken jaw. Yeah, yeah. It, yeah, that's right, yeah. They said there was a virtual river of blood going through the house. That was oh a quote. Oh my god. Jesus. Um, so she lives, she survives, but Virgil is dead, unfortunately, and... Um, you know, the, 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 the cops again show up looking for clues. There's a few clues. There's the caliber of bullets, but the, how that's different from the 32. Um, there's bloody prints, and then there's a flashlight that gets dropped on the ground. Um, so actually, the first color photograph ever printed in the newspaper was of this photograph, uh, was of this flashlight, excuse me. Yeah. Uh, you know, asking people, have you seen this flashlight? Do you know anybody that has this? Blah, blah, blah. Uh, unfortunately, nothing comes of this. And actually, that's, that's, uh, where where everything kind of ends. Now, in the police's eyes, the, the fourth crime wasn't necessarily connected in the way because of the way the crime went down, but because they happened around that same time, they think that that's why it would be connected. Um, but again, with no witnesses ever seeing anything uh, other than the first, they don't have anything to go off to see if all four are truly connected. Um they have their suspects, they go around, they, they arrest this person, that person. There's so many people admitting to the crime, trying to get into it, you know. They're just trying to get publicity and free crap, and they're, they're mucking it all up. Um, they find they find a, a, one of the cars from, I think, the second, from the first crime. I, I'm sorry, I forget which crime it was, but they find, they find one of the cars that they know is stolen from one of the crimes. And uh, the, the police take it out, and this woman shows up, and when they when they grab her, uh, they find out that their their her husband uh, is is a suspect. Um, his name is Yule, uh, Y O U E L L Yule. I've never heard that name before, but Yule Swinney. Uh, <laughs> interesting name. Right, that was gonna be like you'll never catch me. Yeah, right. Yeah, Yule Swinney. Um, so he's he's caught, um, and. There's a lot of things that are pointing that he is guilty, and there's a lot of things that are pointing that he's not. Um, the police don't think he's the guy, but things like they have the stolen car. Um, when he gets when they when he gets picked up, he's like he's really super scared. He's like, you don't think that they're going to give me the electric chair, you know? Do you? And they're like, what are you talking about for stolen cars? No, no you know what I mean. So like, he's like, oh, you know, I've done uh, stolen cars, a, you know. So he's kind of admitting yeah. to doing more wrong than he's letting on to yeah you know that's a, that's a little so, sus there right yeah. <laughs> so there's like verbal comments like that um uh there's heel prints you know like he has these heel prints that they found um uh when they when they find his laundry there's a stark logo uh like it's like all these like things that kind of connect them there's like uh, shavings from the guy from uh, uh what's called virgil and uh virgil starks he had like a he had like a um garage and so they found some metal shavings in his pocket that matched those metal you know what i mean so there was all these things that did kind of connect them but then 
but then there was uh, the police found it. The, the prints didn't match. His prints didn't match any of the prints that they had on file. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, he recanted. Uh, he recanted the statement. He never said anything that he had, he never admitted to doing anything. Um, his wife recanted her statement. Uh, she wasn't. She can't. Or at the time, it was illegal for her to testify against her husband. So yeah. they never did anything with that. So they, basically, their only their prime suspect. The cops really didn't think he was the guy that was involved in. This. So. Um, Basically, after that, they, the cops kind of kept waiting, and nothing happened, and nothing happened, and nothing happened. And so, you know, all these rumors started flying around that, you know, oh, um, you know, because, I'm sorry, so you, you, you did actually do, do basically life for stealing the car. And so a lot of people guessed that he was, in fact, the Phantom because he was in jail for the car theft, mm-hmm. and these murders never continued after he was caught. So... Hmm. You know, so there's a lot of people that felt like that. There was people that felt that he moved on somewhere else. There was, you know, I mean, so there's a lot of rumors that circulated. But basically, after that fourth crime, there was nothing. Um, on on that point, there was a couple things that happened where somebody uh, called and apologized to the victims, like in like 1990 or 2000 or something like that, saying they were the daughter of killers. But you know, that could have been a prank. Um, and so, yeah, so basically in, in the movie, they, the cops have a chance to catch him and they shoot him in the leg, but he gets away and they, they, uh, they allude to the fact that he run, he runs into the swamp. And once you were in the swamp, like most people never came back out of the swamp. Um, also with the fact that he had been shot in the leg that, you know, he probably got infection and died or whatever in, in, in real life, they never, they never, you know, almost caught him. Uh, and it's funny because in the movie, twice they allude to the fact that he was almost caught. Like they were just seconds behind him and they blew it. So there was definitely some, some things in the movie that matched up and a lot of things that were taken to make it a little bit more interesting or scary or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the most notable thing to me that was the funniest part was that in the movie, it wasn't a saxophone that she was playing. It was a trombone. And in the movie, the, the Phantom ties up two women to trees like he basically has them hug the tree and then ties their wrists on the other side so they're stuck on it and he picks up the trombone and he takes a hunting knife and he ties it to the end of the slide and then he goes over and he pretends that he's playing the trombone and he stabs her with the trombone as he's playing it <laughs> oh, my god. oh my god that was kind of interesting yeah, <laughs> that, was... that sounds like I mean... so like horror of that time like yeah, camp yeah. crystal lake like mm-hmm. kind of yeah kind of. <laughs> it was like i think it was before it was before friday the 13th so you know it, he wasn't like playing it wasn't like he was like Rah! you know like <laughs> yeah but he was you know he's grunting and he's sliding it he's sliding it forward and she's getting stabbed with it so yes. it definitely alluded to the fact that he's pretending he's playing it killing her so i was like huh i wonder if that really happened and then they just said no she had a saxophone with her and the killer threw it away (laughs) that was it (laughs) it was found in a case under a bush so but yeah um now the movie itself um again like it lead it alludes to the fact that he would he basically died in the swamps that that wasn't that's not what happened um but the killer was never caught in real life um but it it was interesting to me to, to take away the fact that if this happened in 1946, that the first people, uh, Jimmy and Mary, if they did see this guy with this case on his head, that he was kind of the first masked killer, if you will. Mm-hmm. 
And that was interesting to me because it seems a lot of the tropes of horror movies were set up from this story. You know, having sex. Uh, I think they, they alluded to the fact that the the um, the scary story, the, the the hooked, you know, the hand, the hook hand on the, right, yeah. uh, the the handle, the car handle. Yeah. Or, uh, that story, that kind of came from there. But the killer never had a hooked hand, so it was like, you know, again, just people making out in a car. The killer is there to kill you. Um, the killer's wearing a mask. He's trying to break in and get you. You know what I mean? Like, there's like there's like five or six major tropes of poly- of scary movies that are like in this story alone. The opening you know? scene to Scream sounds like that woman yeah, trying yeah, to run I, out I, of the house. Yeah. I totally thought the same thing. Drew Barrymore yeah. running for her mom. Yeah, that's, you know, her running to the neighbors and being, ah, help me! You know, yeah. like, such a good scene. Uh, luckily, she yeah. got saved and Drew Barrymore unfortunately did not, but... <laughs> She's fine. Uh, She's... <laughs> Uh, but yeah, so uh, I, it was very interesting to me to, to be like, hmm, is this story the the, the phantom uh, the phantom murders of Texarkana? Is that kind of what spawned, like you said, Halloween, Friday the Thirteenth, all these all these movies of the of the mass killer coming to kill you and and how you're gonna die if you're having sex or partying, you know? Yeah. So that was really cool. It's interesting. I'm, awesome. I'm surprised more moms don't encourage horror movies, you know, because then you could use that as like a, we'll see, you, know, you, you know, better get true. home tonight or someone's going to rape and kill you with a gun. Yeah. yeah, right. Have fun smoking your dope, kids. Right. Or, yeah. or my parents who showed me arachnophobia when I was a kid and now I'm traumatized. <laughs> That's hilarious. Like literally can't look at pictures of spiders, <clears throat> you know. <laughs> shit when i first saw that movie i mean they used real spiders in that movie so like i mean not the ones they were shooting the nail gun at or whatever but But yeah that movie was awesome man well you know that movie came out the year i was born and i probably saw it when i was like two or three years old so you know i the humor was lost on me (laughs) that's funny well, good job. That was a good story. Yeah, that was a really yeah. good one. I would say the movie's worth watching if if you want to kind of hear a semi-true story about something real and, again, seeing the roots of maybe those horror movies and where they came from. Um, but as as a horror fan, I was definitely at the top, you know, the top portion of my list of check this one out. Okay. Okay. Cool. Yeah, I want to check it out. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, cool. So I'm going to talk to you guys about, um, Ed Gein, which some people thought it was Ed Gein. Gein. Um, <laughs> he was interviewed about that and I found out that he, he really didn't care either way, but he did say that we, I mean, I pronounced it Ed Gein. Uh, Uh. just so you know that but if you don't know ed gein uh you probably live under a non-horror shaped rock i guess you probably have a nice (laughs) nice cozy life yeah you're probably doing totally fine um (laughs) (laughs) um but yeah he's um best known as uh the reference crime uh or reference serial killer for the movie texas chainsaw massacre um so we'll get it. We'll get into Ed uh, historically, and also, by the way, most of my information uh, comes. I mean, not most of it. It came from several different areas, uh, including Wikipedia. Most of the sources I had through there were uh, actually for his biography, uh, which was done by Harold Schketcher. Schke- 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 I don't know. Harold. <laughs> 
Just Harold. Just um, uh, also an A and E biography documentary I watched, and uh, Crime Salad. A and E on Ed Gein. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was really good actually. Yeah. That's awesome. Um, uh, uh, Crime Salad. Uh, it was a podcast that uh, Tia turned me on to. Uh, really, really good. They're they're very. Uh, it's a quick one, but it's thorough. It's cool. Uh, highly recommend it. Um, but yeah, Ed Gein grew up in, or he was born in La Crosse County, Wisconsin. In August 27th, 1906. Hmm. Um, so I guess this was the oldest one. You yeah. should have gone first. Uh, God damn. <sighs> All right, we're going to stop this episode and restart. <laughs> um, he was born to his father, George Philip Gein. Um, he was an alcoholic that couldn't hold a job, uh, which, of course, made Augusta Wilhelmine Gein uh, very happy. Um, that was his wife. And, of course, she hated him, completely hated George. <laughs> um, and this, it was funny, because I was talking to Tia before we started researching this, and I, I've noticed this is so similar in most serial killer or, you know, mass murderer type people. It's like the the one of the parents is an asshole, you know? Well, yeah, or, like or abuse a causes trauma. Abuse, you know? And it's like, so before I continue, like, if you guys got kids out there, just pay attention you know you don't want to raise another ed gein out there you know like jameson's is... all jesse shut up jesse shut up and get me a drink uh, i put him back in his cage he's that's fine. he's fine he's fine no wonder he loves horror movies um so um are you saying like be nice to your kids or they're gonna be no i'm saying like i guess so yeah i mean there's well it's like just no pay attention to everything you know there's it's not just you know the alcoholism you know sometimes it's the compensation of one parent being a shitty parent and you try to be you know you know yeah just just why listen i guess why if your kids uh killing animals do they're doing yeah. great exactly yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and oh god, taxidermy no, is their not. school um <laughs> oh god um so he also had a brother henry george gein uh born in 1901 um he uh now it's sorry but i i initially said that uh george was a you know jobless alcoholic uh but he did try to work uh he was a tanner an insurance salesman a carpenter um, but, um, he finally was able to, uh, own some land and that's kind of where he wanted to, you know, leave and live on this 155 acre farm. And this was in Plainfield, Wisconsin. Oh yeah. So Augusta, like I said, did not, did not like George and kind of kept, um, the sons away from George, which is a good thing you would think. Um, but Augusta was also, uh, extremely, uh, religious in certain ways, I guess, because some of the things she would do eventually would not be religious. I don't know, depending on what your religion. Um, but people seem to take religion and make it suit their narrative. That's very true. This, yeah, that's Augusta for sure. Um, she was very controlling. Um, she, she loved her boys, but she wanted to, she, she basically, put them in solid solitude so she could raise ed the way she wanted um ed only left for school um he would do his chores and then he would go to church they were lutheran 
Um, but his mother in, uh, basically put into his head, this is uh, definitely going to be familiar uh, cinematically, um, that women were naturally promiscuous and instruments of the devil. Mm. Yes, and that's definitely one that's that's a trope at this point now, you know like <laughs> yeah. the, the mom being controlling and saying what? all women are the devil I... you should only love me yeah <laughs> it's like uh norman bates then mm-hmm. right yeah. yeah um so yeah so she that's what she was you know talking about the immorality of the world the uh the evils of drinking because oh, you know yeah. she wanted to you know make sure george was still looking like an asshole um, <laughs> which he was you know to to her credit um, and then she would read the Old Testament to the boys every afternoon. Mm. Have you guys read the Bible before? Any? Nope. No? Um, the Old Testament is like the hardcore shit. Yeah. <laughs> the Old Testament is like the, like, yeah, like, do this or we'll yeah. take the son, you know, your son, your firstborn son's blood or whatever. Um, I'm going to get a lot of corrections on that. After tubs, we right? yeah. 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 It's like, yeah, you want to do the new Testament, the little, little more modernized version. Yeah. Um, now, uh, during class, uh, when Ed was allowed to go to school, um, he was, he didn't have many friends. He was often seen laughing with himself, like by himself. <laughs> um, but he Always did. Right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Um, but it was because, you know, he's mentally abused. His mom tells him women are the devil. That's half of class. Uh, or maybe his teacher. <laughs> you know, like, it's like he, already he's 50% fucked at this point, you know. Um, so, like I said, he would, like, laugh to himself and stuff. But he did try to make friends. But when he did, uh, Augusta would punish him if she found out that he was making friends. Friends are the devil! Right, yeah, exactly. Um, but surprisingly, Ed still excelled in school. He's very, very smart, apparently. Um, now, April 1st, 1940, George, his father, dies of heart failure. Um, highly, obviously, uh, because of his uh, alcoholism. Um, so Ed and Henry, his brother, decide to work, you know, they work odd jobs for the time. Um, they're, you know, like handyman type stuff. Um, Ed would babysit and, um, uh, Henry, Henry, uh, dated, uh, was started dating a woman, uh, which was, you know, unheard of in the family, you know, like you're going to live under this devil. house. Yeah. Cause they're <laughs> under the devil. Um, and Ed didn't like that. He very much respected his mom at this point, or at least feared her enough to think that that was wrong. Um, so um, so he actually, so let's get into the next story. Let's say, um, so May 16th, 1944, Henry and Ed, um, they are supposedly doing a controlled burn of some of the marsh vegetation that has accumulated on the 155 acre farm. Mm -hmm. Um, and that's something that you do on a farm, you know, when you have mm -hmm. too much brush and stuff, you actually have to do it. Um, specifically out here in California. Um, there's like a fine if you don't do it. Um, but so apparently the fire gets way out of control. Uh, the fire department is called and Ed, Ed calls the fire department claiming he can't find Henry. He doesn't know where Henry is. Um, so he reports him missing and then the fire department shows up and Ed somehow knows exactly where Henry's body is. 
he brings <laughs> the fire department to him because they're like oh do you know where he is and he's like oh he was around oh there he you know it like brings him right to the body so that was very suspicious you know suspicious um they find him face down uh he had died of heart failure um but um like i said i got oh, sorry page turning super loud uh like i said i got a lot of this information from the biographer harold sketch harold God, I can't believe I tried to pronounce spell, it again. Spell it. Harold S C H E C H T E R. Skechter. Skechter. Yeah, there you go. I thought it'd be like sorry, Skechter. Harold. Yeah, <laughs> Harold S. Um, he reports that Henry, um, uh, when he found out the police reports, uh, actually said that Henry had bruises on his neck and his head. Still, no investigation, no autopsy. Ed obviously did that. Mm, yeah i mean you're if you're like uh no he never did um but so like but yeah i mean if you're doing a controlled burn you pass out from the smoke or whatever like how would you have bruises on your head like i mean unless he hit something oh yeah bruises though yeah multiple bruises but the bruises on the neck that's weird that's weird too yeah um, I definitely fall over. Bonk. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Um, so. Sorry, you said that it was his older brother or younger brother? Uh, younger brother. Okay. I believe so. Let me double check. Uh, he was born 1906. Henry was born 1901. No, sorry, older brother. Oh, he killed his older brother. Yeah. Cain mm. versus Abel. Now it's not proven that he killed him, but it's suspicious that he killed him. It's very, yeah, it's very, it's pretty it's, much implied at this point. You said he, when he got caught, he didn't, he didn't admit to that. He didn't, no. Okay. No. Um. So it's just Ed and Mom now. Um. Uh. Augusta, his mom, ends up having a stroke after um, Henry dies. Um. Ed decides he's going to devote himself to taking care of her um, like any person would do you know um in 1945 uh a man named smith um (laughs) that's literally what it says in the story a Uh, man named smith a man named smith uh comes to buy straw from the farm and he has his dog with him and his and this other woman apparently and his dog's like kind of freaking out or whatever so he starts beating his dog and ed gain starts to beat the dog no this smith is smith is, is beating his smith is beating oh, okay. his dog um so this woman that's with him it starts crying you know and starts begging him to please stop but he beats this dog to death and augusta is super upset about it she's freaking out upset and ed's like you know, like it's you know, sorry, but it's his dog. You know, like I can't really enter. You know, this whole, mm-hmm. and it turns out that Augusta was really upset because that woman had no right to be there. She had no right to say anything about a man beating his property. Mm. Yeah, <laughs> so Augusta's obviously on the right path. Which brings me to my favorite segment on December twenty ninth, nineteen forty five. Augusta dies. Uh, at the age of 67, that is after a second stroke. And Ed actually, this is also reported in the biography, Ed said that he had lost his friend and one true love. Absolutely alone oh, in the world. One true love? Yep. Ooh, yeah, that's creepy, so. right? Yeah. <laughs> 
Um, so Ed keeps the farm and he makes money still doing odd jobs. He's part of a road crew. He's part of a crop threshing crew. Um, he also, because he inherits the land from his brother, Henry, who died, uh, he sells that land, that portion. Um, and then he boards up all of the rooms that his mother used in the house. So they all remain untouched. And this is while the rest of the house becomes absolute squalor, like a hoarder's nightmare type of thing. You know, mm-hmm. he's basically living, he's living in a small room next to the kitchen. So he gets, so he's using the room in this kitchen inside this big house. That's it. Um, this is uh, reportedly when he starts getting into reading pulp magazines and adventure stories. And he specifically liked the ones that included cannibals or Nazi atrocities. Um, and November 16th, 1957, in the morning, a woman named Bernice Warden, who owns a hardware store, and this is in Plainfield, uh, disappears. A Plainfield resident reports that the hardware truck left the building around 9.30 a.m. Everyone thought the store was closed because it was a deer hunting season. So a lot of times, you know, they just wouldn't open up, you know, like, this is also back in the 70s. Everybody's out hunting deers. Yeah, yeah. Or fixing their houses. (laughs) That's true, yeah. Um, So um, uh, uh, Deputy Frank Warden... Um, who's the deputy for the town and also uh, Bernice's son, uh, enters the building at 5 p.m., finds the register open and blood stains on the floor. And they discover that Ed was in the store the evening before and was going to return the next morning for a gallon of antifreeze because they had a payment slip that they found there. Mm-hmm. Um the, the same day they discover the register open in the bloodstains, uh, he's actually arrested at a local grocery store. And they go to Ed's property and they find uh, Warden, uh, Bernice Warden, uh, her decapitated body, actually, in Ed's shed. She is hung upside down by her legs with a crossbar at her ankles and ropes at her wrists. Her torso was dressed out like a deer. Do you, do you know what I that know means? What that is. Dressed like a oh, deer. So, it, yeah. so they like broke the ribs out, so they're poking out kind they, of thing. Like? like ripped her torso. Yeah. So the skin is off, and the, yeah, the torso, the basically everything's inside out. I guess at that point. Wow. Um, and she is uh, apparently have been has been shot with a twenty two caliber uh, t- caliber rifle. And the mutilations uh, apparently happened uh, post after death. Okay. So, obviously, they have a right to search the place at this point. Um, I got, <laughs> yeah, it's probable cause. Right, yeah. Uh, I got this from a, a book, or I, there's an article from the book, actually, called A True Necrophile, uh, written by Catherine Ramsland. Um, so, they search the house, and they find... Right, this is a giant list. This is probably where I should do the disclaimer, you know, like. Oh yeah. Yeah. I know what's gonna is, happen. This is this, this this might be a little jarring. Shocking, jarring, uh, triggering. So yeah, leave the room, but leave the podcast okay, so, on so we so get our So to this point, we we only know that one person has gone missing, and and, and, and then they it back to him. 
and then they find it they here. They find her like completely like sacrificed all that shit. In exactly. The yeah. Okay, yeah. Got it. Um, so they go ahead and search the entire house, and they find human bones and fragments, a human skin waste basket, human skin chair coverings, skulls that have been put on the bedpost, female skulls, some of them with uh, the head sawn off, human skull bowls, uh, female. Oh, that's where those head tops are right yeah Yeah. that makes sense i was also thinking his his father was a tanner so he was probably he probably knew how to like do do the human skin stuff that makes sense yeah but it's also like deer country deer hunting country so maybe everybody everybody probably has these skills and he just you know was being creative that's interesting (laughs) that's true that's hilarious he he could have had an etsy these days um (laughs) (laughs) A female torso is also found, shoulders to waist. Um, I'm sorry, a female torso, shoulders to waist corset. Oh. He'd made a female torso corset for himself. Uh, He also made human skin leggings. Uh, He also, of course, from Texas Chainsaw, he made several masks, and these were all made from female heads. Uh, Mary Hogan's uh, face mask was in a paper bag and a skull in a box and her skull was in a box Uh, Mary Hogan was actually jump ahead a little bit Mary Hogan was uh, she owned a tavern and Mm -hmm. she was also uh, killed by uh, Ed Gein Um, she was she was one that was found or basically she's still listed as missing yeah um because they never well we'll get to it a little bit later but yeah that's mary hogan um they find bernice warden her head because she was decapitated in the shed Um, they find her head in a burlap sack they also find her heart in a plastic bag and it was Mm -hmm. right in front of the oven uh so but they kind of assumed he was just getting ready to eat it um and then then they find nine vulva in a shoebox. Wow. My vulva shoebox over here. Yeah. <laughs> like, like. Is that where you keep it? Right, yeah. Um, and then they also find a young girl's dress and the vulva of two 15 year old girls. And then they find a belt made from female nipples. Wow. Mm. Yeah, that's one I could actually see being made. Um, what? Like, like as a, as never. I'm gonna edit that <laughs> out. <laughs> no, I'm mean, yeah. more of a nipple suspenders kind of guy, but okay. Oh god. Well, it's like I'm just thinking of like the little like little tabs thing. Yeah. If we were, if we're gonna create a, a band, a, a Norwegian bl- black metal band, then that's what I want. Like, <laughs> um, they all nipple belts. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Um, they also find. <laughs> what? That's such a hot topic thing. What nipple belts? Yeah, nipple yeah, belts. That's true. I'm yeah, tired. I'm tired of that trend. <laughs> Anyways, get some nipple jeans. <laughs> <laughs> Just nipples on the butt. That's hilarious. I got this. So we're uh, like up to like at least thirteen women. Um, with the vulva, yeah, exactly. I mean, like, 
like, yeah, you're talking about the vulvas and then the, then the young girls and this and that. Like, cause you said nine, right? And then nine, two more. And then that's two 11. more. That's 11. And then yeah, plus, so. well, assuming it could be Mary Hogan. Yeah. Well, we're gonna, I guess we're at 11 right now. But don't and worry. We're, we're, brother, we're still part. counting body parts. Don't worry. Um, <laughs> they also found four noses. And then they found lips attached to a window shade drawstring, a human face lampshade, and then several uh, female fingernails. Um, so Keen's like, uh, he admits to grave robbing. Uh, he grave robbed nine graves from local cemeteries. Oh, and, okay. and they investigated and found lots of empty caskets and he was telling the truth about about most i mean most of it i mean yeah because he actually went in and you know grabbed what he wanted and put it in his thing um so basically what they had um um what's the word um surmised uh or at least um harold surmised that um after his mom died, that he was intent on creating a woman's suit to become his mother. Um, wow. <clears throat> yeah. He denied having sex with them. Um, that was also something I got from a true necrophile. Uh, he denied having sex, sex with them because he said they smelled too bad. Not because yeah. it's, you know, horrifying and wrong. Uh, <laughs> Obviously, his morals are a little. Off. That's true. I used yeah. So much for yeah. breeze, and it still didn't work. That's funny. Uh, <laughs> he admits to shooting Mary Hogan, the tavern owner, but he denies any memory of it, which mm. is kind of weird. He's, but you know, he's like blacks out. I guess yeah, uh, that's what he's going for. Yeah. I feel like that's a common excuse, though. That's true. Like, that's yeah. so true. That's how I feel. Yeah. Yeah. Um, he also kept shrunken heads in, in his place, and he told people that they were from the Philippines, uh, and they were from a cousin of his that served in the war, in World War II. Nope, it was, uh, human facial skins from some of the corpses. So he's suspected of kiv- killing Evelyn Hartley, a 15-year-old girl, um, while questioning, uh, Ed, um, Wasah- Wasahara County Sheriff. Art Schley assaults Ed Keen, and he bangs his head and face into a brick wall several times. Uh, so, unfortunately, Keen's confession is deemed inadmissible. Oh. Um, before the trial even happens, Schley dies of a heart failure at age 43. And many of the people who knew him said that it was due to his trauma from Ed's crimes. I mean, I could imagine walking into that. Could you house. imagine being the interrogator of that, like of having to talk to some a person like that? Yeah, and he's just like normal about it. Like, yeah. God, I, I would just want to hit him so bad. So yeah, it's, that makes sense. But it also sucks because you know they might have found Evelyn Hartley, who is still reported as missing. Yeah, one second. Oh, that's the black pieces. Sorry, they're they're like completely gone now. Um. So, on November 21st, 1957, he pleads not guilty uh, to due to insanity. And he's actually only tried for one of the murders. And he spends his life in Central State Hospital for the criminally insane. Uh, when he's in uh, the hospital, his house, uh, the farm, burns to the ground. 
Um, they said originally they said it was a uh, a uh, a brush fire, another controlled burn that they were doing way farther up, like north of the farm. But later on, after investigating, they found coals that were the same coals that were at that fire were at uh, his farm. So they're pretty sure it was an arson job. Um, which makes sense. People probably found out about it and they were like, Oh yeah, we're going to burn this place. Yeah. Like, I mean, if I own that property, I would totally burn it to the ground. And it also (laughs) like how religious everyone would be like, that's that's like the house of the devil right there. You know, totally. Um, in 1949, I'm sorry, not in 1949, uh, his 1949 Ford sedan sold, uh, at an auction for $760 to Bunny Gibbons, who was a carnival sideshow owner at the time. I think I've heard of her, actually. Um, I think it was a guy, I think. Oh. I'm not sure, though. It sounded like it was a guy with the art. Bunny, huh? Oh, okay. Um, but, um... (laughs) But, uh, yeah, he would charge 25 cents a person to take a picture with it. But I guess that makes sense. I think they said that he, 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 had, the first, when they first did it, he, there was like 2,500 people that lined up for it. So 20, that, that adds up, you know, that paid it off. But $760 at an auction for a 49 Ford sedan back then was actually a, you know, that was a lot of money. Yeah, like a chunk. Right. Um... So yeah, this uh, that's I mean that's the story of Ed Gein. There's a lot like we talked about. There's a lot of uh, movie connections with it. Uh, this supposedly was the inspiration for Robert Bloch's uh, novel Psycho. Uh, that was in 1959, which of course was the inspiration for Alfred Hitchcock's movie Psycho in 1960. This was definitely the inspiration for Texas Chainsaw Massacre's Leatherface. Um, I mean. Just because he's wearing the masks and stuff, you know. Mm-hmm. They, sure. Uh, they and also all the furniture and stuff in the house and everything. That's true. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Oh yeah, the whole house is full of that shit. All the mm-hmm. stuff that they show. How they hang the girl up on a meat hook mm-hmm. in the movie. Yeah, that's yeah. true. Yeah. Ooh, that's a harsh scene. Um, and uh, this definitely was the inspiration for Buffalo Bill from Silence of the Lambs. Oh yeah. They also definitely credit. Uh, I mean, this is pretty obvious, but uh, Doctor Oliver Threadson in American Horror Story: Asylum. Yeah. He's uh, definitely based on that. Um, This also inspired some good music. Uh, The song Dead Skin Mask by Slayer. Slayer! (laughs) (laughs) Um, Slayer! Also, Nothing to Gain by Mudvayne. Oh, nice. And then there's just a band named Ed Gein. I didn't really listen to him, but it was just weird that there was a band named Ed Gein. Check them out. Maybe they're good. Uh, and then my last segment, which I'm going to start doing as a thing. It's called Really? This is just weird stuff I found out about the about the film. Oh, okay. Um, John Larroquette uh, from the film Texas Chainsaw Massacre that came out in 1970. He was the voiceover, wasn't he? Uh, yeah, he was the narrator. Um, narrator. He apparently was paid with a joint. That's how he, that's, that is how he did the film. I will take that as payment for anything. Straight you need, up. You need me to paint your house. <laughs> You need that's me to awesome. watch your kid. That's awesome. <laughs> watch your kid. That's he only reads the paragraph at the beginning, right? It's only like in the very opening. That yeah. That. No, that's true. Yeah. I'm just kidding. I'm never going to watch your kid. Um, <laughs> oh, that, that that brings me to my other point. You you mentioned how the it was based, you know, your story was based on a true story, uh, Jameson. Mm-hmm. Um, that was like, I don't know if because of that this happened, but so many movies at that time did that same thing that based on a true story thing and 
yours was the only one that was um the what was it the town before sunday or after sunday the town that feared sunset uh, the town that feared sunset yeah so I, that was the only one that was actually so all these other ones were saying this to you know create this like Blair Witch type, Blair Witch type yeah. vibe you know which is kind of that was the origin of it was you know saying this is based on a true story you know blah 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 but um, I read into it and apparently the director actually he he was on this what's the meta tip I guess he was very much uh, against the the Vietnam War and there was a lot of lying that was happening in the media and with politics and stuff. So that's how he viewed it was that man was like that man was lying all the time and that you could never know the truth. And so that's why he said he wanted to do that to just mess. You're talking about Toby head. Hooper? Yeah. Okay. Got it. Mm -hmm. So yeah, like um, that, that was supposedly his intention. I, I don't know. Maybe it was. That sounds like a very seventies thing. Well, that you know? sounds like something like, you do. You say like after you make it, you know, like, like, yeah. Oh, were you thinking this? And you're like, uh, yeah, totally. <laughs> That's exactly what I was. Yeah, it was definitely uh -huh. a nailed it. <laughs> nailed it. <laughs> right. That's, I I love uh, interviews with. Uh, George was it George Romero on Night of the Living Dead? People like always read into like the whole like, you know, it's a black man being the lead in a role that typically wasn't a black man to mm -hmm. have the role as the lead, and then he gets shot at the end without you know, you know, being able to defend himself or anything like that. And he was just like, no, he was the best actor to show up. <laughs> you know, there is nothing. That's right. <laughs> Yeah. That's funny. I never heard that before. That's hysterical. That's so funny. Yeah. Yeah, because, yeah, there's definitely a lot of people that you know, read too much into it, I guess. When it's, but isn't it's that beautiful, though, that, like, he was not looking at race at all. He was like, no, he was the most established actor that showed up to the audition. And That's very true. Yeah. yeah. That's very true. Hmm. Yeah, no, because I totally thought that I, I read it into the exact way you just said, you know, obviously yeah. 1960, what, 1968, 69. Mm-hmm. You know, in the height of all that, definitely. Yeah. To have a hero as the, 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 the black hero, never mind, you know, telling white people what to do and being the boss of the situation. Right, stuff. yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. No way. Slapping a white woman. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's, that's true, true. too, yeah. That's, that's <laughs> all a good that point. stuff. Yeah. He's like, no, none of that mattered to me. It was it strictly was just the best just actor. about the so. acting. We, we had several people slapped for the role. <laughs> 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 he, was, he was definitely the best. Um, there was also extremely horrible conditions, apparently, when they filmed the film. Um, uh, Texas Chainsaw, there was uh, seven days a week, 16 hours every day. And apparently they were experiencing a huge uh, heat wave and it was 110 degrees during the day. And, sure. and 80 at night with 100% humidity. Mm. Um, Oof, awesome. So none of the real story actually took place in Texas at all. It was just a lame name to call it the Wisconsin chainsaw massacre yeah i mean it's it's a lot you know that, yeah. that's that's already too much to say <laughs> and it, the chainsaw was never there was never any kind of chainsaw in there the was never story, a chainsaw correct? yeah it's true that was uh uh brought up by this movie and this movie's kind of credited with being the first horror film to use uh machinery like that like mm. uh power tools i guess is what i should power say. tools as a weapon as a weapon yeah yeah which, is, which is interesting definitely yeah. effective 
totally you know? yeah and that's i mean the chainsaw people at like halloween horror nights you know like yeah which are, i think those is, are all doing leather face it's so funny because there's no chain on it it's, it's literally right. just Isn't the it's just sound. a leaf blower no Some, it's a real chainsaw no it's a real chainsaw yeah yeah, yeah they I, just take the I guess chain we had the leaf blower for that other event we did that cheaper one yeah that's what yeah <laughs> you had for that yeah definitely that would no. be really funny though if I, they had like leaf blower guys come out you're like oh, oh, oh well i did leaf oh. me and tia did a bar mitzvah for this kid one time because they and, they were hiring haunt actors to perform in a maze that was at this bar mitzvah granted know? it was huge they they rented out like an entire hangar yeah. at the santa monica airport oh my god it was huge but the guy was like definitely coked out and gave us way too many ge- like instead of a haunted maze it was like you go through a butterfly room and it dracula was, tells you the, a poem and then and you look at this mirror room and then there's gonna be fire dancing and it's like what is the theme of this like at oh the at God. the end of it i was in a picture frame holding a leaf blower that was made to look like a chainsaw and then i'd be like elijah i'm coming to get you or whatever it was yeah it was great times we will tell you the full story at some point because it join our patreon for the full story of our (laughs) we should we should you should type up that and put that on the patreon because that night that was hilarious or or that couple of days actually was very strange anyways anyways Um, texas chainsaw master so yeah super super hot horrible conditions apparently they were trying to do it in three weeks and of course it went to like six um, which is actually still pretty quick. Um, but, uh, Gunnar Hansen, who played Leatherface, mm-hmm. most of the actors never met him, uh, before their first, uh, scene, which for most of the actors was their final scene as well. Cause nobody meets, you know, there's no second scene after meeting <laughs> Leather. You know what I mean? Like, that's, yeah, you, you're probably going to die. Yeah. So there's, there's no meeting first um so yeah they never met him before the scenes which i'm sure lent to their credibility and being afraid of acting and being afraid of him yeah also a lot of people were just afraid of him because apparently a lot because they were working so much like one of the dinners in the dinner scene he's wearing like a suit and tie with the mask and apparently it was so hard to put on that he didn't want to take it off so he for 35 hours straight he had the mask on <laughs> and some people were oh. saying that some of these actors were getting like like freaked so, out by it well freaked out by it and then like getting like into a daze and being like well maybe he's right you know and, like one of the actors was saying like i actually thought about killing somebody during this film <laughs> like they were just like getting out of it but also in the dinner scene they filmed it during the day and they blacked out all the curtains and this is 110 degrees heat Jesus. Oh and God. this is you know they didn't have ventilation or anything in yeah. this house and it's oh, an yeah, old yeah, ass house oh. um also i forgot to mention that one of the actors had was wearing a tie-dye shirt that it was since it was tie-dye and they had gotten it locked down as like the shirt he was wearing that he couldn't wash it oh so yeah. he never washed his shirt so some of the actors were just i, I can't be around this but but everybody yeah. like the whole place smelled bad also, the director, uh, to- what was it? Toby, Toby Hooper. Toby Hooper, yeah. Also, he decided to plant uh, animal, like dead animal pieces around the place. Like all of those animals in the movie were actual <laughs> dead animals. Oh god! They went. They actually went to a slaughterhouse and picked up a bunch of shit and then just threw it everywhere. Probably but it was stank. like fucking rotting in the yeah 110 degree heat and stuff, or which was probably like 120 at this point in the house. Oh, yeah. Um. So yeah, that that I thought that was really strange and weird. 
Um, and then lastly, but not leastly, um, because of all the meat on set, uh, Toby Hooper apparently became a vegetarian for a year. And Guillermo <laughs> del Toro said that he is still a vegetarian after watching that movie. <laughs> That's funny. Um, but yeah, that is uh, Texas Chainsaw Massacre, Ed Gein. Um, really cool film. It's been made and remade. Um, the Jessica Biel one's okay. I kind of like the original I, one. I like the remake. The remake's cool, but I think the original one. I like Texas oh, yeah. Chainsaw Massacre 2 when they're in the radio station. Oh my god, that one's so ridiculous. It's good, <laughs> yeah. but in like a ridiculous way. Yeah, yeah. yeah. it's open That's true. Yeah. The original is scary because it is so low budget. There's just that gorilla making quality yeah. to it that so, just really adds a little bit of fear to it. That's yeah. so true, yeah. And like um, all it's, of it's that. Kind of poorly, I don't want to say poorly made, but just it doesn't look it doesn't look clean it doesn't look polished mm-hmm. and i yeah. think that that really adds a shit ton to it well it's crazy uh, like how yeah how grimy it was but still how like the shots are still good um and the the like they even they didn't even have a soundtrack really apparently yeah. all the noises played in the film are just uh they wanted he said he wanted to make it uh the composers of this said he wanted to make it that you're just hearing sounds an animal would hear in a farm like inside of a farmhouse, so like, yeah. So you're an animal basically, yeah. While you're watching it. Okay, so on the real again, you said that he was never convicted of anything because he was basically listed as mentally mentally insane. And um. Like... Well, so I don't, maybe I didn't end it right. Um. But yeah, basically he was. Um. He pled not guilty to the one crime. Uh. Later on, he actually like years later, he is given the ability to, uh, plead again. And this is on on behalf of the Mary Hogan. He actually says that he, uh, I'm sorry, on on, uh, uh, Bernice at the hardware store. He says that he brought in a bullet himself for the 22 that he was going to buy and then put the bullet in and loaded it and shot her accidentally. And then decided to take her home. But they they also came back with like, you know, no... Sorry, you're guilty still. Like, so, but he's he he ended up, uh, yeah, staying, uh, in the, in the hospital for a long time. But he did die. At, like, I think it was age sixty seven. And what, did he? Uh, how many? How many murders was he? Con- well, was he tried with? Like, how many did they try to pin on him? They ju- just, just the, the two. One. Well, they just tried just, to yeah. do just the two, but they ended up just convicting him initially just for the one. Okay, and so most of the, so we're saying that most of the body parts that were found were already dead. That, yep. that he didn't necessarily Very kill these people. Yeah. Okay. There, there's also think... a uh, documentary that never got made, and I'm super bummed about it. But it was these two two guys that were going to make a documentary, and they wanted to exhume his uh, mother's body to test a theory because they think was? that a lot of the pieces of her missing and that he actually went and took her apart and oh, that makes because sense. he wanted to be his mom you know right um but that was something that was never investigated but also it's kind of like man could you imagine being on the force like going through that like yeah do we have to exhume another body and like <laughs> i can't do this again today yeah <laughs> so um so basically you're saying that this woman the, the woman in the hardware store she gets killed and she's kind of the only basically missing person other than the bar bar owner, you said? There was yeah, a bar. Yeah. yeah. 
and she's the only person that was considered missing. You said there was a 15-year-old girl as well. That was the the 15-year-old or... girl was the one that they had they they said that they got a confession out of him, but because he was beaten, so like because he was assaulted, uh, right. Any of that confession was inadmissible. Right, um, but he confessed to killing her, or he confessed. They never he... actually said okay. whether or not. Um, but they the 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 facts didn't really line up with it either. Like he, um, I think even later on he, he said that, um, it was, it was just the two, two women and there was, yeah, there, the, the facts just didn't line up with him being in the area. Um, but that's, I think this guy was just super disgusted with who Ed was and, you know, if you right, can, right, right. if you can oh, pin him down with something, you know, like, like, cause I mean, that's kind of a big thing in nowadays is people being coerced into confessing to things. So that's definitely a method that police use. Sure. You know, so yeah, who knows? He could you know, could have just been put into that state that his, you know, his mom used to put him in. Yeah, because I definitely thought that more he had killed more people than That's what I or, thought, too, especially knowing that it was ba- the Texas Chainsaw was based on him, you know? Yeah, so I think that, that maybe that's what made, made it grow in my mind as far as victims were concerned, mm-hmm. but also because... You know, you're, you're sitting there, you're reading off all these things. There was a chair and a table and a lamp and this and this and this. It's like, well, how many people, you know, that's a lot of skin. Yeah. You know, so how many people was he killing? It's like, oh, no, he, he just dug up dead bodies. So that's, it was more, it seemed like it was like 10, 12 bodies dug up, yet only three fresh murders, if you will. Mm-hmm. So that and was interesting to learn about that. I was surprised about that. And speaking of dug up bodies, he um, apparently people knew where his grave was for the longest time. So people were taking like little bits and pieces of it. Uh, they eventually took the entire gravestone. You um, mean they were chipping away pieces of the gravestone? Yeah. yeah. Oh, wow. Um, and they, they finally took the whole stone and that it was found later on like a like a couple of years later and it was returned to the sheriff there so they actually have it there in their like in the, the sheriff lockup. station has his tombstone is what yeah, you're saying yeah and now and now his grave is unmarked so you can't really find it apparently cool so i uh got the story of the killer clown mr john wayne gacy himself mm-hmm. um so most of my information comes from biographics by Simon Whistler. It's a great YouTube channel. I think he's uh, he's very good at summing up a story. I also cross-referenced a lot of things with Wikipedia. The Wikipedia on John Wayne Gacy is very, very detailed. If I were to include everything, this would have been like my story last week that was like an hour and a half long. <laughs> uh so I tried to uh, sum it up as much as possible, um, but I definitely encourage people to check out the Wikipedia and donate to Wikipedia as well. Um, they could definitely use donations, but yeah, if you want to get into more details on every individual crime, every individual murder uh, that John Wayne Gacy committed, it is definitely detailed out on the Wikipedia. So, but I won't get too much into that i just will kind of cover the basis of the story uh but before i start uh john wayne gacy's known to be the killer clown because he would dress up with clown makeup which i'll get into a little bit into my story but it is believed that he inspired the many killer clowns that we see in film and television and i just thought we would go around the circle and name you know our favorite killer clown from a movie or a tv show 
Mine is definitely Pennywise from It. Uh, I like both the original with Tim Curry and uh, the remake with, what's his name, Skarsgård? Andrew Skarsgård. Andrew Skarsgård. I thought Andrew Skarsgård was more like the It from Stephen King than Tim Curry, but anything Tim Curry does is amazing, so you you gotta love him. You can't really really battle Uh, him. Jameson, who's your favorite killer clown? I don't know. You kind of caught me off guard with that because I'm trying to think. I mean, obviously, there's only killer clowns from outer space. Yeah, that's uh, I, that's a which, good one. Which, which you know is a fun movie, but I didn't see that until probably you know ten years ago or something like that. So it obviously didn't have the same resonance as it does for somebody who watched it when they were like nine. You know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, so I don't know. I, I, I all I can think of right now is a, is a really uh, there's a band called Mastodon that I really like, and they they filmed a video actually over at the CIA. Do you guys know where the CIA is? Yeah, oh, yeah been yeah, there. Been oh, there and there's an actual dead clown at the CIA. Yeah, oh, yeah I forgot yeah, about yeah, that. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, there's like a uh, it's like it's for those of you who don't know that it's like a nightclub in Los Angeles, but it's like all like horror theme, like kind of like a crazy carnival type thing. What is right? it? The Which Center say, like, for the California Institute for Abnormal Arts. Uh... There you go. So uh, we, I didn't know that. I didn't know that's what CIA stood for. Interesting. Um, but yeah, the video, the video uh, of Mastodon playing there is demo. They're all in this like crazy clown suits and they're like playing in a metal band and they're like in a mosh pit punching each other and stuff. And so that's all I can think of. Right. So I'll, I'll oh, use yeah. that as my answer. Uh, Mast- Mastodon. Within the CIA, there's a casket on the property that supposedly has a dead clown in it. Whether it's a wax figure or a real corpse, I have no idea. But it's definitely creepy. Really? Yeah. That's funny. Yeah. That's funny. It's in, like, the bra- the back area. Yeah, I forgot. Uh, about do you have a favorite killer clown from TV show or um, film? I'm going to say the Joker. The Joker. Mm-hmm. Actually, oh, well, cool, yeah. fun fact about the Joker is Joaquin Phoenix is wearing the makeup that John Wayne Gacy would wear. Uh, really? Yes. Oh, that's what no. it's inspired from. Get out. Yeah. Are, you sure, are, you, are you sure about that? Uh, that is the alleged rumor that I looked up. So <laughs> or the same that he put his makeup like like in the opening scene when he's got the makeup on and he's smiling and stuff. It's supposed to be similar similar in shape and style to uh John Wayne Gacy's Pogo the clown. I could That's see that. creepy. Uh because Gacy didn't do rounded uh clown makeup, which is typical of a happy fun clown, he did more pointed, scary sharp edges and things triangular yeah uh also one american horror story definitely was a straight reference to uh john wayne gacy like that's that mm-hmm. ryan murphy's talked about that so um that's way, it i mean there's wants to look up the video is called blood and thunder is the name of the mastodon oh, oh okay nice. cool I'll, I'll, I'll watch that yeah um so yeah Many, many, many killer clowns, probably many in the future that we'll see on in B horror movies yet to come. <laughs> so getting into my story, uh, John Wayne Gacy was born in Chicago on March 17th, 1942. Uh, John Stanley Gacy was a, his father, a factory worker, described as a man's man who always wanted a son. Marion, his uh, wife and John Wayne Gacy's mother uh, was a housewife and she's described as very sweet and loving. Uh, they were kind of opposites where John Sr. was uh, kind of rough and 
abusive and cold, you know, mm-hmm. and she was the overbearing, loving, smothering mother. Um, John uh, Jr. was given the middle name Wayne so that uh, he would, dad was inspired by one of the most manly men, John Wayne. So he's already putting this on his son to, you know, fulfill some sort of fantasy of his, of being, you know, this manly son, you know, which unfortunately doesn't really happen. So, uh, John, uh, Jr., John Wayne Gacy was more interested in hanging out with his mother. He wasn't into sports. He liked, he didn't like manly activities like camping, which his father tried to take him to do many times, uh, which may have been due to his father's violence. He was very abusive. So uh, it's believed that John kind of gravitated towards his mother. He liked to help her in the garden and he also liked to cook. Uh, This led to his father being quite verbally abusive. Uh, He would call uh, John Jr. a girl uh, in at one point he said, if you turn out to be homosexual, I will kill you. Um, Jesus. And so the mother overcompensated by spoiling him with food, which led to John Wayne Gacy being quite overweight, which is something he would be bullied about later on in his life. Uh, his parents were constantly arguing. His father uh, would drink and beat his children with a leather razor strap and, uh, I did also hear that at one point he took the seat of a swing and hit him, hit John, uh, John Wayne Gacy in the head with it, which is uh, also something that happened to Richard Ramirez, uh, which is something that I've heard a few times with serial killers is having like a head injury leading to them kind of having uh, different personality disorders later on. Mm. Didn't really find too many solid facts that that actually happened. Um, uh, just one of the YouTube videos I watched uh, had mentioned something like that. So I'm not sure if that's true, but it is pretty much known that John Sr. was definitely abusive to John Jr. Uh, one time when John Sr. was beating John Wayne Gacy uh, pretty bad, uh, all of a sudden John Jr. just snapped and stopped crying and just became silent. Uh, so I don't know what that was about. He had just had it at that point. Uh, so one day when John is hanging out with his friends, he passes out and he's taken to the hospital and later diagnosed with a heart condition. So he could no longer play sports, even though he didn't want to. So this kind of, uh, was his biggest downfall was to his father was that, now, oh, now you're sickly on top of it. So you, you will never be my sports star ever, uh, which is something he couldn't even control. Uh, in 1954, John Jr. joins the Boy Scouts. He becomes friends with Barry Bocelli, um, who I'll, I'll quote a few times throughout here. So they're friends for quite some time. I want to say all the way through high school. Mm. Um So he confided in Barry that he stole a pair of panties from his mother's dresser. And when he was alone, he would dress up like a woman and sometimes wear lipstick. But despite... Sure. 
yeah, despite as one does maybe uh, a questioning sexuality, he did start to date in high school, tried to fit in and have a normal life, but he struggled with his weight and was constantly bullied. Uh, when he graduated at 18, he moved away, away from his abusive father and just away from this town that he, you know, kind of had a bad experience with. So he moves to Springfield, uh, Illinois, where he becomes a shoe salesman in a department store. Uh, he becomes the assistant precinct captain of the Democratic Party. Uh, and he starts dating his co-worker, Marilyn Myers. Uh, her father was wealthy and well-connected into politics. And he eventually marries Marilyn. Uh, while Marilyn is giving birth to their first child on in February of 1966, John Wayne Gacy is not there with her uh, in the hospital. Uh, he's actually out getting drunk with a male co-worker. They go back to John's house and they have sex. Yeah. While well, his kid's being born? Yes. Oh, jeez. Um, Is that, like, considered his first gay hookup, or...? Well, I think so. Uh, as far as we know, we he... Of him confessing. Or later on talking about it. Um, John Sr. did eventually come uh, to meet the baby, and he said that, for the first time, that he was actually proud of his son. Uh, in, uh, in July of 1966, John Sr. Uh, was quoted saying, I was wrong about you, finally. So John, John Jr. is married. He's got a son, you know, now, you know, he's in politics and his father is finally proud of him. So he keeps this momentum going. Uh, John's father-in-law owns several KFC franchises uh and at 24 john becomes a manager at one of the kfc's now his best friend barry uh said that john wanted to become the manager because he wanted to control people and in fact he insisted on being called colonel (laughs) (laughs) yeah uh so so john john and marilyn are getting into politics and uh John's kind of repressing something that, you know, some sort of sexual urges, you know, throughout this. So these start to kind of emulate in different ways. Uh, So he starts to use his want to move up in society uh, to also as an outlet for some of these sexual urges. So he starts to host these parties at his house uh, to gain popularity. So he builds a bar in his living room, which also, which kind of sounds amazing. Uh, he builds a bar in his living room. He starts to throw swingers parties and has orgies at his house. Uh, and he becomes vice president of the local JCs. The JC is the Junior Chamber International. So the United States Junior Chamber, also known as the JCs, is a leadership training and civic organization for people between the ages of 18 and 40s. So, yeah. So it's like, I guess, a city council, maybe? 
I don't know. Email me and correct me if uh, I'm wrong. <laughs> okay, <laughs> you know? Yeah, it sounds like a, I don't know, like a Mason club. Or yeah. Something. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Which he does join uh, oh, later on, you know. Right. So he's kind of doing that thing, you know, like mm. these clubs, I want to be included. I want to be the leader. I want to be liked, you know, and I want to be respected. Uh, so uh, in 1967, he was named. Uh, outstanding pre- vice president of the JCs, and in August of 1967, he uh, in August of 1967 he invites a 15 year old boy named Donald Voorhees to his house. Uh, he knew Donald's brother or Donald's sorry Donald's father, a local senator. He gave Donald alcohol and let him see his uh, collection of porn and stag films. Uh, then he forced the boy to have oral sex with him and threatened the boy by saying he had connections with the mob. When he drops him off back at his house, he gives Donald $50 for his silence. <laughs> Damn. Yeah. His brother Jason is going to be pissed. <laughs> uh, over the following months, Gacy similarly abuses other youths, including one whom Gacy encouraged to have sex with his wife, and then blackmailed him to give himself oral sex. Uh, Gacy tricked several teenagers into believing he was commissioned to conduct homosexual experiments in the interest of scientific research, and he would pay them $50. Oh, my God. In March of 1968, Voorhees uh, reported to his father what Gacy had done to him. The police were immediately informed. Gacy is charged with performing oral sodomy on Voorhees and attempted assault of a 16-year-old Edward Lynch. Gacy denies the charges, uh, but fails a polygraph, which he actually insisted on having the polygraph, polygraph, and then he fails it. And that's just kind of telling you how confident he is in himself. But it's just, it's also his downfall. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, he claims, uh, the accusations were politically driven and actually a lot of people believe him. A lot of members of the JCs believe him, uh, because they know this other part of him, you know, they only know half of the story, what they see that he's presented to them. They don't see this other dark personality that he has. Mm -hmm. So, uh... Voorhees Sr. said, uh, so he claims that it's politically driven. Voorhees' dad uh, had opposed uh, John Wayne Gacy's nomination for uh, for the Iowa JCs. Oh, sorry. I guess they're in Springfield, Iowa. Uh, anyways, several fellow JCs believe Gacy and rally for his support. Anyways, on August 30th, 1968, Gacy promises to pay $300 to 18-year-old Russell Schroeder uh, to assault Voorhees in an effort to discourage him from testifying. Schroeder lures Voorhees into an isolated park and sprays him with mace. Schroeder was arrested, and so was Gacy. What? Yeah. So he paid him to mace him? like. Yeah. The, this kid that he's already assaulted... You know, he pays this other kid 300 bucks to go and assault that kid. 
you know? Oh, I see. Okay, got it. All right. Sorry, I got confused. Got it. It's yeah. still weird, though. Like, you can't do your wow. own dirty work, man. Like, <laughs> like but, it's so weird. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, paying someone, like, that's so... Oh but it's, it's a power trip. Right, yeah. It's like, I can... Oh, you know, I've got the money, you know. So, on September 12th, uh, Gacy was arrested uh, and ordered to undergo a psychiatric evaluation at the psychiatric hospital of the University of Iowa, and he's there for 17 days. And I have a quote from uh, his evaluation. It says, the most striking aspect of the test results is the patient's total denial of responsibility for everything that has happened to him. He can produce an alibi for everything. He presents himself as the victim of circumstances and blames other people who are out to get him. The patient attempts to assure a sympathetic response by depicting himself as being at the mercy of a hostile environment. <sighs> Take that as you will. Yeah, right. yeah. That's, that's pretty dark. So November 7th, 1968, Gacy pleaded guilty to one count of sodomy in relation to Voorhees, but not guilty to the charges related to the other youths, but claimed it was consensual. Uh, his story is not believed. He was convicted of sodomy on December 3rd and sentenced to 10 years in Anamosa State Penitentiary. Uh, he very quickly gained a reputation as a model prisoner. Within months, he makes, uh, he makes it up the ranks to head cook, uh, which I heard that he's actually a really good cook, maybe because uh, he worked at KFC. He was known, he was known oh, to... The colonel? Yeah. Uh, he was known to, like, uh, season his food, which was, like, I guess, a new thing to prison food. Uh, <laughs> what, what did you say? Seasoning? He, he seasoned, seasoned his food, you know? He put salt and pepper in there? Yeah. <laughs> They're like, what is uh, this? He's actually interviewed for a local TV program called Christmas at Anamosa, which is something you can find on YouTube and watch. Hmm. Get out. Yeah. Uh, he joins the inmate JC chapter and increases its membership from 50 to 650 men. He's able to sec secure an increase in the inmates' daily pay uh, in the prison mess hall and supervise several projects to imp improve conditions for the inmates. Gacy oversaw the installation of a mini golf course in the prison recreation yard. Sound like Andy Dufresne. What's going on here? Yeah, and also mini golf course in the prison yard. Yeah, this is a like nice part prison. Of, part of me is like, you know, we shouldn't treat these people like animals. But another part of me is like, fuck you, John Gacy. Right? Yeah, what the hell? Like, <laughs> you don't deserve yeah. a mini golf course, you know. But at this point, he's only had, you know, a child give him oral sex, which he claims is consensual. At this point, they don't know what's. How horrible what's gonna happen so all right whatever mini golf uh <laughs> in christmas of 1969 gacy's father died uh he was uh gacy john wayne gacy was denied uh leave to attend his father's funeral uh and i believe that gacy actually blamed himself for his father's death even though it was natural causes or heart failure um so, anyways, uh, on June 18th, 1970, Gacy is granted parole 
with 12 months probation after serving only 18 months of his 10-year sentence. 18 months? Wow. Oh, God. Yeah. He did, that. he did all that crap in a year and a half, huh? Yeah. Wow. You know? Uh, he was ordered to relocate to Chicago and live with his mother and maintain a 10 p.m. curfew. Uh, people in his hometown did not know of his convictions. Uh, they only remembered him from high school, you know, and they actually remembered him quite fondly. Uh, so, uh, he gets a job as a short order cook at a restaurant. He saves up money and starts a construction company called PDM Contractors. It stands for Painting, Decorating, and Maintenance. And he starts dating a woman named Carol Hoff. Uh, she's a divorcee with two daughters. Now he admits to Carol that he was bisexual, but never tells her about his jail time. On January 2nd, 1972, uh, Gacy is hanging out at a Greyhound bus station. Um, so during this time, like, like I just said earlier, like sodomy is a crime, you know, whether it was consensual or not. You know, it's a crime. So even Gacy claiming it was consensual, it's a crime. And so if you were actually a consenting gay man, you had to go out cruising. So this is probably why Gacy is hanging around a bus station. Truck stops, bus stations. Which is also why when he runs into 16-year-old Tim McKay, Tim McKay is not alarmed by a man picking him up at a bus station. Uh, traveling, uh, he's traveling for Christmas and had a layover in Chicago. Uh, he flirt, uh, Gacy flirts with Tim and he begins showing him around the city. They have sex and then Gacy stabs Tim McCoy and buries him in the dirt basement crawl space under his house. Hmm. Well, that's kind of out of yeah. nowhere. Uh, he marries Carol Hoff on July 1st, 1972, and moves her into his house with her two daughters. And yeah. This is the same. The same, same house. house. Yeah, okay. The same house. Uh, he joins the local Moose Club. Gacy becomes aware of a group called the Jolly Joker Clown Club, who perform at fundraising events, parades, and entertain children at hospitals. In 1975, Gacy joins and creates his character Pogo the Clown and Patches the Clown. Pogo was the happy character and Patches is the sad character. So even his clowns have two personalities, <laughs> which is insane. Yeah. That's hilarious. <laughs> uh, Gacy is seldomly paid for his performances and later said that acting as a clown allowed him to regress to childhood. Sometimes Gacy would remain in his clowning garb after a performance and briefly drink at local bars before returning home. Which would be eerie to see a clown sitting at a bar drinking. Um, <laughs> and then be like, well, time to hit the old dusty trail. <laughs> yeah. Like, uh, this is not normal. He yeah. walks out the bar, right? <laughs> Got um, shoes on. So Carol, his wife at this point, uh, becomes concerned about her husband's behavior, saying that he has drastically changed after becoming Pogo the Clown. Uh, they stop having sex. 
Gacy becomes verbally abusive to her and she files for divorce in 1975. Um, at this point, Gacy's only 33 years old. That's how I... married for what, two years? Yeah. Uh, uh, I don't know. Uh, 1972, three years. Three years ago. I was going to say, he's 33 years old, which is how old I will be in a couple weeks. Woohoo! Um... <laughs> Gonna that go, is let's when, go celebrate at a mini golf course yeah uh that's when i'm gonna start dressing <laughs> like up a like a clown for your birthday what would you like a clown for your birthday oh my no. god jameson please come as a clown please come as a clown <laughs> oh. I <want> patches. <laughs> no. okay yes yes i do i take it back i do i want that i want no, 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 that very no. much patches was the sad one we need a sad clown right yeah please be a sad clown on my birthday <laughs> Um, okay, anyways, so he, he starts dressing up as the clown and driving around town. Uh, when he sees a young boy, he would hold up a gun and force them into the car. He would rape them, stab them, and bury them under the house. Still as a clown? As a clown. Damn. He hires Dave Cram, one of his employees, to dig holes in the basement Claims that he was adding piping under the house. He's given very specific orders where to dig and areas to avoid. Cram uh, was from out of town and was looking for an apartment, so Gacy offers to rent him a room in his house in exchange for labor. One night, dressed as Pogo uh, and slightly or very much drunk, uh, Gacy walks into the room where Cram is staying, uh, and Cram says that his voice had changed to this high-pitched voice. So, Gacy's putting on this clown he's, he's voice Pogo okay. as Pogo, drunk. Pogo asks Cram, uh, if he wants a Mai Tai. And thinking it was a joke, Cram takes the drink. Uh, he then asks if Cram wants to see a magic trick and he puts handcuffs on Cram's wrists. Gacy begins to dangle the key in front of him, giggling, and then he started growling and singing, I'm gonna rape you. What? Yeah. That's a fun clown song. Yep. Jesus. David was able to get loose and escape, but not speaking of this until years later. Wow. Yeah. So that's the thing is like these men are kind of embarrassed about what happens. And like with Voorhees, he doesn't come out till years later. Cram doesn't come out till years later. And like because of the stigma for homosexuality and even today, like men facing abuse. Say, even to, I mean, men are very much uh, private about a even lot up of in, things. Even up until the 90s, a man being raped was a joke. But think it, about it, though. Even women don't come forward. It's just just the situation true, yeah. itself yeah, it's, is embarrassing it's, or scary or yeah. whatever. That's true. Yeah. So it's not just a man that doesn't come forward. Women up all the time. Oh, yeah. Yeah, know? 100%. So, but I guess... Well, the, I mean, you're absolutely right, but, I, yeah. but still. I guess the point I'm making is that, like, it, with men, it's it's not taken as seriously. Uh, that's correct. Yes. I would agree with that. Yeah. Um, God. I want to... I would love to talk about movies that represent... Uh, rape as a joke uh, and how infuriating that is, but I think I would vomit. So yeah. <laughs> let's uh, let's move on with this wonderful story here. Um, where am I? Where, uh... Okay. So he wouldn't speak about it till years later. On the afternoon of December 11th, 1978, 
this is the day before Gacy will kill his last victim. So during the time between Cram's murder and uh, this last murder of Robert uh, Peast, uh, Gacy has murdered uh, close to and at least buried under his house uh, somewhere around 33. Holy shit. Yeah. 33 boys. Wow. Uh, I'll list a couple of their names out of respect. Uh, uh, here we go. Um, we have Michael Bonin, Gregory Godzik, John Bolkovich, Daryl Sampson, Randall Reffitt, James Hackison, Kenneth Parker, John Sizek, uh, Ma- Matthew Bowman, Robert Gilroy, John Mowry, Russell Nelson, Robert Winch, Tommy Bowling, David Talisma, Robert Donnell, Donnell, Robert Donnelly, Frank Landing, Jeffrey Righall, and William Kindred. And that's just a few of them. That's not all of all of them, but those are some of the ones that have been identified. Um, and, and I'm sorry. Ranging in age from like fourteen to seventeen, kind of thing. Oh yeah, yeah, young men. You Jeez, know, man, that's crazy. Yeah, uh, I'm sorry if I butchered some of their names, and I'm also sorry that I didn't include other people uh, who have been identified uh, as well. Um, I'm not trying to gloss over anybody's um, situation or death. You know, um, it's just it is a lot to mention. So, on the afternoon of December 11th, 1978, Gacy visits the Nissan Pharmacy in Des Plaines uh, to discuss a potential remodeling deal with the owner. While in earshot of employee 15-year-old Robert Peace, Gacy happens to mention that he pays teenage boys $5 an hour, almost double what Robert was making at the pharmacy. Now, there's a couple theories on this that Gacy never intended to remodel this pharmacy. He went there to have this conversation in front of Robert Peace in order to uh, entice him him to uh, to kind of contact him, you know, and give him a visit and maybe come work for him. Uh, And Robert Peace takes the bait. He calls up uh, PDM construction and uh talks to Gacy or at least that's what they believe happened because when Robert's mother comes to pick him up that day uh he tells his mother some contract wants to talk to me about a job uh later that night he leaves his house around 9 p.m promising to return shortly now he never comes back and so his mother reports him as a missing person and Gacy quickly becomes a prime suspect due to his sodomy conviction and him being at the pharmacy the day of the disappearance Mm -hmm. uh however you know the the man running the pharmacy when he's interviewed uh he says well Gacy never talked to Robert Peast so it's kind of brilliant because he didn't talk to him he just dropped the yeah, idea, well. you know, dropped the bait, but wasn't seen doing it, you know? That's clever. Yeah. So Gacy was confident he wouldn't get caught. Uh, 
and his house is staked for a while. And at one point he invites uh, the investigators over for dinner inside his house for dinner and drinks, uh, which is so cocky and his biggest, biggest mistake. So when he invites them into the house, they quickly realize that it stinks. I was about to say, yeah. yeah. Uh, and they know what that smell is. And they think that it's dead bodies. So they are able to um, obtain a warrant to search his house. And they find 27 bodies under his house. Wow. Yeah. So they believe he was involved with 33 murders uh, in total. Oh, no. They find 33 bodies under his house. They're able to identify 27 of them. Robert Peace, I believe, was found in the river. Well, because he was out of room under his house. Yeah. When arrested, the police ask him uh, several questions, including where you were born, where Gacy replies out of chaos and then starts to laugh. Right at that moment, they snap his mugshot. So when you see his mugshot picture, he's smiling. Yeah. It's because he's thinking how clever he is of this comment. Uh-huh. Uh, Gacy claims that he has multiple personality disorder and couldn't, couldn't control what Pogo the Clown did. Uh, Gacy had a great defense team due to his connections in, in politics and actually con- congratulates his team when he receives the death penalty as that was the verdict he wanted to receive. While in prison, he draws and paints artwork of clowns and he sells them, which are very coveted pieces to this day. However, I did hear a rumor that he taught a painting class uh, and he was having them paint Pogo the Clown. And so some of the pieces that might be out there might not actually be Gacy. Interesting. So. Just Gacy inspired. Yeah. (laughs) Uh. He even wrote a book claiming that the bodies under his bed were a setup to ruin his career. Um, not sure if that was ever published. It was just something I had come across. And on May 10th, 1994 was the day of execution. There was a crowd outside of the prison chanting, kill him, kill him. Uh, as the crowd was uh, informed that he... that Gacy had died of a lethal injection, the crowd began to cheer. Uh, After Gacy's death, a forensic psychologist dissected his brain to see if there were any Hmm. abnormalities, which they were, which they discovered nothing. Hmm. So there was nothing actually wrong with his brain. And that is the story of John Wayne Gacy, the killer clown. Jesus Christ. So caught in 78 and died in, in uh, executed in 94. Yeah. So, oh, with that, it wasn't until 94. So he was in prison for quite some time. Uh, with that, 27 of the bodies were identified pretty much right away. A couple of the bodies were identified in 1986. And the last two bodies to be identified weren't identified till 2011. Jeez. Wow. Wow. It's impressive that they're yeah. able to still do that. Yeah. Was there any other crimes that they felt that he didn't get, you know, like, was there any other missing persons or anything that could have been connected or with they um, pretty much oh, sure that yeah. they got everybody? Oh, very much so. Very much so. They don't know if this was it. 
you know, uh-huh. there's no way to prove it now, you know. Right. But uh, he didn't confess to it anymore, right? What's that? He didn't confess no. to any more killings, right? God, you were such a... He didn't know. He didn't okay. confess to any anything. But he didn't like. He personally didn't believe that he was killing these people, anyways. Like he, like I said, he had an alibi for everything, and right. it was Pogo. Yeah. <laughs> God, that's crazy, man. Oh my yeah. God. Thirty-three bodies in her house, and you said when he was <clears throat> when he was in the house, it, it was just him. His wife had already. Uh, divorced and, yeah, and divorced yeah, yeah, yeah. right before he went yeah. to prison right? and his mother oh, I... had passed away which i didn't mention i guess i forgot to include that in um i want to say it was a few years after his father passed away his mother had passed away um so yeah it was just him living in the house you know and he had two daughters you said uh carol or hoff had two... carol no, hoff no. had two daughters okay so he yeah. never had children or no he had a son right? he had a son which uh after his sodomy conviction was uh he had a son and a daughter but they were i believe taken away from him yeah they didn't uh-huh. stay with the mom they stayed with the mom yeah. okay. uh marilyn so were the vic- were the victims always killed was it a knife was it a gun was it, uh, was it different ways a few of them were stabbed uh, a good majority of them were, um, uh, like, suffocated with a tourniquet. Crazy. Yeah. Oh, so you put, like, some around him and just twist up the rope or whatever? Yeah. Interesting. Yeah, and his, his signature move was to trick them into putting handcuffs on themselves, saying that it was a magic trick, or he would put the handcuffs on himself, uh, uh-huh. and then be like oh this is how you get out of them you know but then put them on them and they weren't able to get out of it so i don't know if he was changing the handcuffs or if he knew a trick of getting out of them you know he was also giving alcohol to these young boys you know which they were excited to get oh we're gonna drink alcohol you know with my dad's friend you know and sorry one other question uh Mm -hmm. we're uh, are we finding out that his first murder took place after he volunteered for this clown thing, or he was already on that path before he got to the to the clown gig? I believe it's before, right? Um, because yeah, he said the clown thing was like seventy five or something like that. Oh no, uh, not documented, but who really knows? His, yeah. his first murder wasn't until let's see, he joins the. Like seventy one or something like that, right? Because you said that he killed that boy. He killed that boy and then put him under the house, and then he had his wife move in there. Yeah. Um. No, in seventy two, he kills Tim McKay, and he okay. joins the Joker Clown Club in seventy five. Okay. So. Uh, so it was way before that. Yeah. So it wasn't Pogo. So, who knows? I mean. Who knows how many other people he killed that they never found out about, so. Right. Mm. Okay. All right. Alive. All right, guys, you ready for your assignments? Mm-hmm. So, yeah. So I'm okay. happy to say that these assignments were inspired by a fan of the podcast, or at least of our Twitter. Uh, on Twitter, Ken was one, one. <laughs> K-E-N-W-A-S-O-N-E. And the number one, mm-hmm. Ken was one one, <laughs> one one one. Uh, uh, asked us, referring to our uh, walking tour in Hollywood, 
do you guys discuss the murder house from American Horror Story? Well, Ken, no, we don't. No, we um, don't. <laughs> however, uh, we don't go there because our tour mostly walks around Hollywood Boulevard and the American Horror Story house, I believe, is like in, well, I guess we'll find out. Uh, it's like down Wilshire somewhere, it's like, right? Yeah, it's like closer to like, not like Beverly Hills. It's I mean, like south of Beverly Hills. I mean, yeah, we'll walk with you there if you want to hang out with us for three hours, but, <laughs> you know, uh, however, scooter. Right? however, other friendly tours of uh, in Hollywood, uh, like Dearly Departed, which is a bus tour, they do go by that house. I believe it was their bus that is featured in, in the episode on Murder House. Oh, yeah. That's right, because yeah. she, like, stops and, like, gets off the yeah. hilarious. Yeah, I believe that's... Right? Uh, that's our good friend Scott with Dearly Departed. That's his, be, yeah. his company there. Yeah. So, yeah, shout out to them. Okay. Uh, however, uh, next week we are going to do a couple stories on houses uh, in Hollywood. So, Patrick, uh, you are going to tell us everything that you could possibly know about this actual house, the murder house, uh, used in American Horror Story and maybe come up with some fun factoids about uh, American Horror Story and, you know, anything you want to tell us that you find interesting about this particular house, the real one. Cool. I got a shovel. What I it was inspired it. by, maybe, whatever you want to find. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, Jameson, your assignment is the murder house of Los Feliz. Um, okay. Um... I did tell you a little bit about it before, but uh, it's closer to Glendale. He can he can get there. Yeah, just you know, <laughs> start walking. Um, and I am going to tell you guys about the Reseda House of Evil. Mm, so the these Reseda are House of Evil. Yeah. Wow. So these are all Hollywood adjacent, um, except for the Murder House, which is actually in Hollywood. I mean, like from us, they're all like thirty minutes away. Right? Yeah. Maybe it's my brother's old house in Reseda. Oh, yeah, maybe. <laughs> that place is fucking evil for sure. Um, yeah, but with that, that's the end of our episode here. So stay tuned, guys. Um, yes. Next week. Uh, Hollywood's Haunted, the podcast, is the collective work of the owners and employees of Hollywood Haunted Tours. And it's available on iHeartRadio, iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcast. Subscribe, like, and share, because sharing is scaring. For more information on Hollywood's Haunted, visit our website at hollywoodshaunted.com. If you have any suggestions or questions or unsolicited testimonials, feel free to email us at hollywoodshaunted at gmail.com. 